J.J. Cooper, Jeff Ponce here, another Baseball America Prospect Podcast. It's it's an in-season prospect podcast, and I say that with a whole lot of happiness in my voice. And uh, Jeff, I think you're going to hear the same from him. Both of us, uh, I don't think either of us went to any games this weekend. I think we just both let the onslaught. I, I did. I did. I shouldn't say that. I did go to a game. I went to the NHSI. So, but I think before the weekend was over. I had watched in-person high school, college on ESPN, ESPN Plus, minor leagues on MILB TV and major leagues on MLB TV. And Jeff, I'm going to wager that it was much of the same for you. How awesome was it to have more (laughs) baseball this weekend than any one human can possibly consume? Exactly. And I was was headed to Hartford um, on Saturday, but got a hailstorm. So it delayed the game by like two hours. I was kind of nervous. I was like, what if they don't play Alvarez? And I drive all the way there. And it was delayed for the first hour where there was a good chance it was going to get canceled. So I ended up not making the hour and a half drive there and uh, just hung out at home. But I, I was able to make it pretty productive uh, because there were so many games on, so many different interesting arms. I think I watched both ends of um, the Lake County doubleheader because they were rained out on Friday night and opening night. So they played two games on Saturday. Game one, Gavin Williams starts. Game two, Doug Nikhazy starts. Two really fun arms. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. And then there were games before that, games after that, games in between. You could jump in back and forth too. Um, and then even go back into the game logs and see, hey, who went, you know, because especially this time of year, everyone's going two, three, four innings at max you could kind of jump around and catch a few different starts on MLB TV. So uh, I did a lot of that. I probably watched 20 games or so over the course of the last three days. So not too bad. I, I had a little running bit on Twitter on Tuesday of last week. Cause we, there was a, a glorious three and a half hour period where I had watched every professional baseball, regular season game of the season. And I kept that up for the entirety of the first game of the year and the first 30, 45 minutes of the second game. And by now it's like, Oh, how much did I miss? I, it, it's one of those wonderful things. It just was fun. This Hunter green making his MLB debut on Sunday was really fun to watch. Yeah. That's at the major league level, like watching. He, he, he didn't have his best velocity. He only touched one Oh two. So he wasn't, <laughs> fully loosened up like we'll see more from him in the future he only sat 100 touched 102 but i think was very encouraging also is his through 65 percent of his sliders for strikes that is not a that is not a chase pitch slider that is a if he can throw that for strikes it makes the fastball all that much harder to hit that was encouraging that was fun to watch checked in a little bit on some college baseball too I just love when we're at this time of year, especially we're in April. I love baseball year round. Jeff loves baseball year round. I'm guessing if you're listening to this, that you love baseball year round, but that said, I'll get to August and it won't have the same new car smell, uh, you know, as I'm enjoying 20 games a day that it does right now when you're coming off of that winter where it did not, you know, it just wasn't there. And 
kind of from that standpoint, I, I just, oh, it's so fun right now. It really is. But, but Jeff, kind of along those lines, so you watched a lot. I watched a lot. But I'm just going to put you on the spot. If you said, who is the guy? Who's the player who you most came away from this weekend? Not that you didn't know who he was before then. I'm not asking anything like that. I'm just saying, who's the player who you came away? Wow, that that there's some, that was something. Yeah, I think for me it was um, actually Gavin Williams that I had mentioned before. Um, he was a an absolute standout uh, in his start. You know, he sat 95, 96, I think it was actually 96 miles per hour plus, ran it up to like 98, 99 miles per hour a few times in the gun. And just in general, his stuff was really crisp, really sharp. Um, even his misses weren't really bad misses. Maybe he had a couple that were in the upper part of the zone that, um, you know, were kind of easy takes. Uh but hey, you know, when you have that sort of ride in your fastball and, and life, it's going to happen from time to time. But, you know, he for me, he looked like a guy that just completely overwhelmed. Um, I think it was the Lansing lineup that they played. Um, and they have decent hitters in that lineup. I think, you know, Lawrence Butler's in that lineup. Soderstrom's in that lineup. He struck both those guys out, um, you know, mixed in a slider and a curveball. Both had really good movement on it. Uh, he's got an interesting slider because it it kind of it gets some ride and a little bit of sweep. Um, probably got some some gyro stuff going on there, some seam shifted wake stuff maybe. Um, so it's kind of interesting. But the thing with him is it's not high spin; he just throws it really hard. So that's what makes it an effective pitch. And then he also has you know an upper seventies, low eighties curveball that has a ton of depth. If you've seen it before, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and feel for the changeup too. So. He's got legitimate secondaries. It's a, you know, probably tighten up a little bit, but he's a big boy. I mean, he's like six five, six six, big body, throws hard. Um, and he was in high A. He looked like he could be in double A, triple A within a few months. Like it, it, there's no reason that he should be in Lake County for for more than maybe four or five starts. I would I would anticipate. He was great at East Carolina. Um, I mean. 23rd pick in, in last year's draft class, you know, the first round 23rd pick overall. And I always kind of wondered, to be honest, a, a little bit, like why was he more back of the first than a little higher in that? Like, I, I will put it this way. If Gavin Williams was in this year's draft class, <laughs> he would be the absolute slam dunk top college pitcher in the class because he would, he combines stuff with success and a little bit of track record too. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have those guys this year. The big issue with him, um, which was the opposite of the the college pitchers this year is he was healthy, you know, in his fourth year um, at ECU. Um, So he was a fourth year player. He's a little bit older, but he had a long track record of injuries. And I think that's what the risk was. Um, But you know, I think the reports, and you can even go back and I think look at our content and some other folks, people were saying last spring around this time, like, hey, he might have the best stuff in the draft. Because, um, you know, Leiter had started like an absolute comet. And then <laughs> I think, you know, sort of tapered off. There were some of those arm concerns and injuries and and that sort of thing. Um, but Williams got stronger. And I think, uh, 
you know, had he had a 2020 season, maybe we would have seen it that year. And he go he gets drafted in a, a regular 2020 draft. Um, but hey, good for good on the Guardians um, in Cleveland for you know making that that pick because it was obviously a really smart choice. And I had said it in a prediction podcast with um, Chris Welsh on on his show Prospect One. I said I said I think Gavin Williams could be the number one starter from that draft by the end of the season. Like he could surpass Leiter. Um, do some work. Leiter was pretty good too, but. Uh, I, I think it's closer than people probably realize. And speaking of, Leiter made his MLB, his professional uh, debut uh, this weekend as well. Mm-hmm. Give the give Frisco credit. Like you hear all the time that, oh, you know, these, these teams, you can't really promote minor league players. They don't have the name recognition. They're not there long yeah. enough to, to do that. They're doing the Jack Lighter special. You pay $22 and you get your ticket, you get food, you get different things for the Jack Lighter special, which by the way, I literally checked my phone that night and I was getting texts from a friend of mine who was at the game in Frisco. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's working for them, but he was also impressive. As you said, all of these are, are very short outings right now. I've got to say, this is one that I'm I'm stealing from you because you basically pointed out to me, said, hey, go check out that Visalia broadcast, which, by the way, kudos, Visalia broadcast. If you all have followed me for a while, you know I do love MILB TV, and I love a good MILB TV broadcast. Mm-hmm. When you have a, a new broadcast that starts out at a high level, and when you say, well, what's a high level? Good center field camera placement is a key part of high level. I do not want to not be able to see the strike zone if the shortstop is shifted over. <laughs> and there are more than a few of these camera angles where it's like, oh, um, where did that pitch go? I don't know. All I can see is the shortstop's butt. Um, so good camera angle, center field camera angle, good graphics you know, quality, clean graphics. I, I would love to see pitcher play, you know, batter name, Velo, but good quality broadcast. But Maddox Bruns, the Dodgers first round pick from last year was really impressive. Carrying on what we were hearing from spring training as well. I, I think, I think our Josh Norris is still beating himself up over the fact that, uh, that he went to see Jack Leiter versus Asa Lacey, which is not exactly, you know, that's not like, Hey, I've got a. I have a choice between going to a five-star restaurant and uh, picking up some, uh, you know, uh, some some gas station a gas station hot dog. That's a that's a choice matchup itself. But yes, I think if he had to do it over again, he would have gone and seen Maddox Bruns uh, in spring training. But Bruns showed multiple pitches, firm fastball with some life up in the zone, breaking a curveball that. Ooh, I yeah. mean, thumbs up. Uh, you again. I'll let you talk about him more than me because you're the one who this is what we do. We're very fortunate to get to do what we do. Talk to Jeff this morning. He's like, have you watched Max Brun start for this weekend? No, let me go do that. Okay. That's work. <laughs> That's really hard work right there. That's fun work right there. Yeah, exactly. What did you see when, when you watched Maddox Bruns? Yeah. He only went two innings, but once again, you got to put in perspective that this is, you know, a high school arm, um, that hadn't faced like, you know, the toughest competition really, 
uh, as an amateur, um, you know, on his high school circuit. And he was a guy that was inconsistent in the previous summer. We had heard the reports. We had heard what he was like in spring training. So he comes out for Rancho, you know, in low A versus Visalia, fairly decent lineup. And he's locating his fastball at 94 to 96 miles per hour and spotting it to both sides of the plate. I think that was the most impressive thing to me was it wasn't just the velocity and the stuff and the movement. It was how he was locating it early. I think he had mostly looking strikes to start. And then he kind of really turned it on with the last couple of batters and started getting a ton of swinging strikes on the breaking ball, but also on the fastball high in the zone. Um, but his location and movement and late life was good enough that he could really locate it to like all four quadrants. And I thought that was what was most impressive was there's an, an element of command here on the fastball that we hadn't seen before with the good movement, all the stuff that we had seen when he had initially sort of taken off like a rocket at PG national when we were coming out of shutdown. It was like one of the first big draft events and prep events we had had in a long time because there was no high school baseball and he was throwing, you know, 96, 97 from the left side. It was loud, but he was spraying a little bit. You didn't see any of that. He was mixing in a, a slider as well uh, in the mid to upper 70, uh, 80s, excuse me. Um, it was a little bit tighter in terms of movement. And then that curveball, as you mentioned, was mid to upper 70s. It was like 76 to 77, 78. But it was heavy two-plane movement and a lot of, of uh, down and break late. Like it, it, it sort of dropped off a table. Um, it was a nasty, nasty pitch. Uh, that's a that's a definite swing and miss pitch. And if he even adds a couple of ticks of velocity, let's say, you know, by the time he's ready for the majors, he's throwing that at 79, 80, 81 miles per hour with similar movement. That's going to be a pitch that misses a ton of bats. And there's not going to be any answers for it, even the best hitters in the world. So it was, I can't, I know I'm overstating a little bit, but really it was an impressive couple of innings. And just the, the sheer stuff and his ability to command it was really impressive. Probably going to be years before we see him in the big leagues. But once again, it was the Dodgers potentially getting a steal at the back end of the first round when other teams are drafting 10, 20 picks ahead of them. And in five years, we're going to say, how did Maddox Bruns end up in you know the back end of the first round? But part of that might be the Dodgers too. And that... This is also kind of recreating a little bit of a conversation we had this morning, but but I, I like when you said there it's going to take a while because one of the things that we see pretty consistently year over year with prep pitchers is there are highs and then there are lows. Um, and you hope that the highs are lengthy and the lows are short, but even the with with very few exceptions, very few even first rounders, high school pitchers go straight to the big leagues where you say it was just a straight line. Ian Anderson, straight line. Mike Soroka, pretty much a straight line from drafted success, big leagues. Most high school pitchers who end up having success in the big leagues, it's like they get to a point and then there's a step back. Then there's a step forward. Then there's a step back. Hey, Mackenzie Gore right now is an example. Mackenzie Gore, Came out, was a house on fire, you know, in his first, in his pro debut. And he spent two years, 2020 and 2021, looking nothing really, a lot of the times, nothing like that. Um, mm -hmm. I, in 2020, yeah. when I say looking like that, 
not a whole lot of people could see him in 2020. He was at alt site, but we know this. The Padres were in desperate need of starting pitching at the end of the season. And they chose to go with Ryan Weathers, who was a year younger, a year less experienced than Mackenzie Gore, rather than turn to Mackenzie Gore, which matched what we were hearing that it was not all there together for Mackenzie Gore. 2021, Mackenzie Gore's stuff backed up, his command, his control backed up, ability to maintain that delivery, which is a, you know, an athletic but complex delivery for multiple innings backed up, all those things. So far this year, very encouraging to see that Mackenzie Gore so far looks like he's back to being much closer to the Mackenzie Gore that we've seen, you know, in the past. That's that's kind of the, the fun part of this is, is watching players develop and, and seeing how they take steps forward. Sometimes they take steps back, but then seeing how they respond to that and move forward. I want to dive into, you mentioned about a slider. I want to dive into, have some fun with, with talking about pitches and, and all that. But before that, we're going to have a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. So, Jeff, there was a good story. Uh, there's been a couple of stories, but the one I think that, you know, we've, I, I was hearing people talk about it at uh, NHSI was Lindsay Adler, the athletic, had a piece on the, the sweeper slider there. That seems like that's the that's the pitch of, uh, of 2022, which basically means it was the pitch of 2021 for some teams. And then <laughs> as it kind of gets uh, reverse engineered, it becomes much more widespread. A little insight for fans. If we're all hearing about it, even you know on the reporting side of it, if we're hearing about it, it means that teams have fig- you know kind of figured it out even a little bit before that, probably in most cases. But but so I, you and I had a fun discussion about this, talking about the sweeper slider. But I'll just kind of ask you because I, I ask you these questions off air. I'll ask you for the help of the the, the podcast listener. How would you describe the the sweeper? Uh, as the slider that we are seeing more teams use nowadays. Yeah. And I think it's a pitch that, you know, there was some discussion about 
in the off season um, around Matt Brash and Nick Lodolo when I did my best pitches in the top 100 um, because I classified Brash's, I guess, technically slider as, <laughs> as a curveball. And there's a lot of sort of sweepy breaking balls that get considered curveballs. Um, but depending upon, you know, what the velocity is, can also be marked uh, as sliders. And internal systems tend to mark a lot of these sweepers um, or whirlies, as Lindsay Adler called it in her you know, uh, article in The Athletic, which is really good, um, as curveballs in internal systems. And I think a, one of the big reasons is, um, so with, with all breaking pitches, unlike fastballs, you're not going to see you know, high 90s to 100% efficiency. So there's a lot of four seam fastballs, particularly the popular ones uh, nowadays that, you know, have, we'll say if it was like a perfect 12 o'clock, right? Sandy Koufax is throwing it. It's going to have, you know, backspin that moves along that axis and it doesn't deviate from it at all, which would mean it's 100% spin efficiency. So all that spin moving on that axis contributes to movement. Um, and the, con the contrast to that, as I've always thought about it and had it explained to me when it was like the aha moment for me was a slider, tip typically your classic sort of gyro slider is like a football where you throw it, there's spin, but you know how much of that spin doesn't necessarily contribute to movement because uh, it's gyroscopic spin. So it does contribute some percentage to the movement, which is why, okay. you know, real football with certain spin, it spins a certain way. So, so let me, let me stop, let me stop you for sure. a second to explain, explain to someone, if you would, gyroscopic spin, if there's someone out there is going, what is gyroscopic spin? So gyroscopic spin would be like bullet spin. Um, so think about how a bullet spins on sort of like a, a, a central axis. Mm -hmm. um, so it then rotates around that. That's, you know, technically sort of the high level explanation for it. When it comes to ball movement, it typically means that there's a, a lack of efficiency. Now that could be 40% efficiency, means 40% of the spin is active and contributing to movement, um, or it could be even less. Remember there was a slider that was getting passed around before the draft from Nick Bitsko that was like a 1% spin efficiency slider. So when that happens, and this is the kind of thing where you start to talk a little bit above my, my pay grade, <laughs> but when that starts to happen, some of those effects like seam, seam shifted wake, which is something that we've just begun to understand, start to come into play. So really any pitch that doesn't have 100% efficiency or transverse spin, which is like that four seam fastball I mentioned before, transverse being spin that contributes, you know, directly to movement sort of backwards um, or active spin. Basically, uh, basically like backspin. Like back exactly, exactly. Um, so it's just sort of, you know, different in terms of, um, you know, how it moves. Uh, you know, it's just, it's it's perpendicular in the pitch, pitch axis when it's transverse, right? Versus gyro, which is um, horizontal, I guess you could say, depending upon how you're looking at, at it and orientation wise. Mm -hmm. um, but those two sort of forces contribute to how the ball moves. The sweeper is interesting because like a curveball, which would have top spin, which would have transverse, but just the, the opposite of a four seam fastball 
with backspin, right? So think about your golf shot, right? There's a lot of people that maybe drive the ball and get a lot of backspin. So the ball travels a little further. It's the same when it comes to hitters in baseball, right? There's guys like Joey Gallo who get a ton of backspin and the ball has been proven to travel a little bit further. Um, and then you have guys who get a lot of topspin, maybe like uh, in Andres Jimenez, who you know can hit the ball hard, but a lot of the times it's sort of liners because he gets topspin. Um, I bet Giancarlo Stanton, I haven't looked at this, but I bet Giancarlo Stanton probably gets a fair amount of topspin, which is why with his power, he's able to hit a ball 116 miles per hour on a line, <laughs> you know, out, out of the stadium. Um, so there's sort of different elements of how the ball moves. Um, the thing that's interesting about a sweeper is there's more transverse spin, more active spin side to side. So it's, you know, think about a clock, it's spinning from like nine to three or three to nine, depending upon what your handedness is. Um, so that contributes to that movement spinning like that. Now, there's none that are 100% efficiency. Um, there's always going to be some some late sort of gyro spin and effects, which is probably where some seam shifted weight comes in and why it doesn't always look like a perfect sweeper or like a Frisbee throw across the zone and has that late life. Um, just because it's the nature of breaking balls and sliders in particular. So that, so basically, but what it is, is, is it's a slider. It, it's funny. It's slider is carrying a lot of work in my mind now because slider can mean about four pitches. Yeah. Like, but so to, to, to really just for the, the, the more casual listener, I, again, I'm assuming a, reasonably high level of, of baseball knowledge if you're listening to the baseball america podcast so but the john smoltz slider to me is going back to that's like what i would call the traditional slider which is if you describe that it is a pitch that has both some depth and some sweep two plane slider ideally where it's down and then you know but it also breaks essentially glove side for the pitcher away you know if you're a right-handed hitter and it's a right-handed pitcher it's basically breaking away we're coming in on a left-handed but that's kind of the traditional then we have what you talked about the gyro slider which i think at one point you were hearing a lot of it called also kind of like the warthen slider which is a very different slider still a slider but very different in that the effectiveness of a gyro slider is more based on the fact that it doesn't, it's got power to it, but it also doesn't move the way that a hitter is expecting. Is that a, a fair way to describe it? Because as you said, it doesn't have thrown ideally, it doesn't have active spin. And because it doesn't ha have active spin, it doesn't have that bite. It's intentionally not biting the way a quote traditional slider does. Is that a a reasonable description? Yeah. And typically the good versions of that pitch are thrown really hard. Those are the mm -hmm. sliders that we typically see at 86 to 89 and, you know, upwards miles per hour. No one really gets a ton of sweep. Um, we've seen, we've seen 90, 91, 92 from some guys who can exactly. throw a, which like, is crazy for us, what we consider a slider. And now, yeah. yeah. Now we have the sweeper, which at its, 
again, at its optimum is more of a one plane slider with that one plane being, again, it's not optimum. There's gonna be some movement in the vertical plane as well. But really what we're talking about is, is if a sweeper is that its primary movement is essentially to move horizontally. And again, same-sided hitter away from the bat, right? That's basically the, the, the short and sweet summary of a sweeper is. Yes. It's avoiding the bat because, again, the key thing of all of this is try to do something that the hitter does not perceive the ball, is not expecting the ball to go in the way that the ball moves. Because as we know, as the studies have shown on visual perception, no one, Barry Bonds is not swinging where his eyes are following the ball and adjusting the bat until point of contact. You are swinging because you, the best hitters in the world are, as a book explained it well, visually chunking. They are seeing a pitch, they are recognizing it, and they are extrapolating where that will be at a time shortly in the future, and they are swinging to put the bat there at that time. And if you, if you can throw a pitch that they recognize as slider out of the hand, but it doesn't move like a slider that they expect, well, then their bat is probably not going to be in the location it needs to be. That's why the same way, again, I, I just love talking about this stuff because just kind of to help kind of explain it, but that's the same way when we talk about in IVB, induced vertical break on a fastball, the rising fastball up in the zone. Why is that effective? It's effective because the hitter thinks the ball is going to arrive at home plate lower than it actually does. The same way that when you say, why is a change up with, you know, with downward drop more effective than a straight change? It's because with the straight change, the only thing that you are causing the hitter problems with is I expect the pitch to be here and it got there later than that. Whereas if you have a change with drop, I expect the pitch to be here and it's later than that because it's not a fastball, but it also is lower than I expected. Again, a better way to miss the bat. Is that, again, I say this to you because I may have screwed something up there, but that's the way I can explain it to someone to help them kind of understand it, I feel like. Yeah. And, you know, there's other types of sliders and, and you know, different types of movement and every single class and sort of sub genre of pitch type has an effective version. Like there's a 70 or 80 version out there of that pitch. And sometimes it's just about where you locate based on movement. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a conversation recently with um, Kyle body for uh, the 90th percentile podcast. It's going to be coming out uh, today or tomorrow as well. And, you know, one of the things that he had mentioned was, you know, sort of pitching coaches and those that are doing the sort of game prep and work for these different pitchers within organizations is really understanding how their pitches move. And sometimes based on pitch movement, knowing where a particular pitch needs to be located. 
And I think that's what's funny is we get really hype about a particular style of pitch because a bunch of guys in one organization find success throwing this pitch. The Astros have the same thing with a particular slider not too long ago where everyone was sort of throwing a little bit tighter sort of Charlie Morton, uh, you know, slurvy sliders. Um, and those became the rage. So I, I think stuff goes in cycles, but just like there is with all different fastball types, there's really effective versions of all different types of fastballs. You know, there's a slider like Daniel Espino's, which is a little bit more slurvy, has a little bit more vertical uh, downward break, um, but has some sweeping action as well. Typically those by the numbers correlate the best with swing and miss and swing and strike rate and whiff rate. Um, so those can be thrown fairly hard. They're kind of like a nice combination of like the gyro effect and the sweeper effect. Um, but I think traditionally we would call that like a slurve. And then there's cutter versions of sliders that are a little bit slower, more of like your slutter that's a little bit more on the slider side. And then some straight cutters that guys, you know, call sliders when they're really not. Um, there's a variation um, of, you know, these different pitches and then stuff that's kind of caught in between all of those um, in terms of sliders. So there's a really wide spectrum. You know, there may be like four main classifications, but then, you know, a few that are on the edges of all the different types of, of pitches, depending upon, you know, the movement type. So this is a very pitching heavy pod, but I do want to touch on one other thing. I, I, sure. I don't, I don't think we even talked about going into the pod that we're going to talk about this, but, but I, I, I want to talk about it. And I'm guessing that you do too, because Roki Sazaki, who I'm guessing there are people on this pod who are like, who's Roki Sazaki. And then there are other people on this pod who are going Roki Sazaki. That's, that's one of the best young, that may be the best young pitcher in, in baseball in the world. And I, and I say that like, I, he's 20 years old. I would struggle to say that there is a better 20 year old pitcher in the world than Roki Sasaki. I feel pretty confident in saying that can't say it for sure because it's the world. i you could make an argument if you want to, for some 20 year old in the States, you know, pitching in the minors or whatever, but there are no 20 year olds pitching in the majors and Roki Sasaki is already doing things that are truly exceptional. Uh, this, this past, it's hard to call it Sunday because like, okay. Woke up Sunday morning in the U S that's when the game was finishing up, but there's the dateline and it was not Sunday morning in Japan and all that, but pitching for Chiba Latte. Roki Sasaki had a perfect game, which does not happen in Japan very often. I think the last one happened, uh, I was still in college and I've been out of college a very long time. <laughs> so that's one, one thing. But not only was it a perfect game, okay, he also struck out 19 in his perfect game. There was not a ball well struck in this game. There was not a, oh, this is what saved the perfect game. The best way I can describe it, if you watch Sasaki, by the way, the miracle of 2022 is, is you can just hop on. We did a post that has every out pitch embedded from Chibelote's uh, Twitter feed. But if you watch this, the best way I can describe it is, is imagine you're watching Kerry Woods outing his rookie year, 
and then throw into the fact that um, there is no, there are no hits. It's a perfect game. Like that's what this was. Jeff, you, you do our, a lot of our dynasty stuff. You thankfully had Roki Sasaki on our, (laughs) on your dynasty rankings. And the only reason he ranks as low as he does is because unless you are in the most amazing sim or roto, but especially sim league of all time, where the world is your drafting field and you can get valuable production out of what they do, even if they're not playing in the U.S., which, by the way, if you're in that league, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, you know, JJ Cooper at baseballamerica.com. Let me know. Like, I guess theoretically there could be like an OOTP league where someone could do that. But other than that, it could be a very long time before Sasaki's in the U S mm-hmm. but, uh, and by the way, check it out. Jeff did a, uh, Dinah, speaking of that, Jeff did a kind of an FAAB uh, post on Sunday timed for everyone's, you know, free agent, free agent acquisition budget uh, day on Sunday, usually. But but now that we got to see that, now that we saw Roki Sasaki reaching back for 100 to 102 whenever he seemed to want it, while also throwing a splitter and a slider that were pure, unadulterated filth. <laughs> what, what did you think, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to, to watch the full start. I just sort of saw the um the highlights on twitter but you know was familiar with him um i know that he was somewhat legendary if i remember correctly uh in terms of his high school tournament i know that i'm not well versed in japanese baseball i will throw it out there um but if i remember correctly he had and japan has this humongous you probably even know the name high school tournament okay and it's like the equivalent of like the NCAA tournament here in terms of like hype and like people's interest is from what I hear. It's, it's a big deal. So these guys become stars. Now he came from like a tiny town that hadn't had a lot of previous success. And like, they throw like a million innings. So he threw like 30 innings in like 10 days or something crazy like that. Right. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I believe it was 435 pitches in like, uh, you know, like a week. I mean, wow. he had like a 195 pitch outing, if I remember right. I mean, it was, it was, abs- I, <laughs> it was at a level that if done in the States, like I, I kind of envisioned someone being let off in, in handcuffs for child abuse, basically, <laughs> uh, you know. Not that that's funny, but yes. But I but think- he also, by the way, threw a hundred in Koshin, if I remember correctly, which yes. I believe the only other player who's done that is a certain guy you may have heard of, a previous Koshin star named Shoei Otani. Yeah, I, th- I think that he's on that sort of upper echelon of you know talented Japanese arms with sort of that legendary background. Um, Tanaka being another one. And I know that his career hasn't worked out like the other two. Tanaka had a good career. And of course, Aisuke Matsuzaka is a uh, Koshin legend. Was, was, was Matsuzaka. So he kind of has that level of pedigree. So whenever he comes over, it's going to be a big deal. But it might be a few years until we see him. Um, and if his agent is smart, they could maximize dollars and wait till he's 23, which would be unfortunate. Not 23, us. 26. 
Oh, that's right. I forgot they moved Shoei Otani rule that basically right. lit, literally cost Shoei Otani somewhere in the neighborhood of probably $150 million. That's crazy. I thought it was still 23, but there you go. No, I stayed they, corrected. So he could yeah. be over at any time, I guess. <laughs> well, if he wants to come over for the international amateur bonus pool, if you are willing to come over. But, but again, this is also something where also he could not come over for another, you know, teams do not, MPB teams do not have to post uh, players. He will not reach free agency for many, many years. So he can be pitching in Japan for for a very long time to come. But that said, the other thing I'll just say with that is is that one of the cool things that has happened, I think, is, is that as the world has gotten smaller, as baseball has gotten smaller in that, again, I've been at BA for 20 years. One of my first jobs at BA was I wasn't given a whole lot of responsibility at the early on, but I was given that. I had to edit the international page. And so I worked with the now late Wayne Grassick, who would send over an email of his story from Japan. And a lot of times it was focused on the players who, you know, the U.S. players who were playing in Japan. If he was doing it right now, I'd probably be getting an Adam Brett Walker feature coming soon, which, by the way, Indie Player of the Year, Adam Brett Walker having a nice start to his Japan career. But but you would get that. But that was at the time, that was pretty much the only way you were going to hear about what was going on in Japan. There was no idea of getting to watch games that were going on in Japan. And now we're in a situation where I wake up Sunday morning and right away, no, Rocky, Rocky Sasaki just threw a perfect game. I can watch, you know, highlights from it. That's great. But the other thing we also know now is, is, 20 years ago, if Roki Sasaki did this, and you said, as I did on Sunday, this is one of the best pitch games we will see in 2022. Full stop. You don't need to throw any qualifier on it. Yeah. You would hear people who would say, oh, yeah, but he's doing it in Japan against Japanese league hitters. That wouldn't translate to the U.S. You don't hear that now. And why do you not hear that now? It's because... (laughs) For one, we now know with pitching, stuff is stuff. If you throw 102 and you pair it with a splitter and slider that you are also plus two plus plus pitches, that is effective against if you're pitching in Japan, if you're pitching in Taiwan, if you're pitching in Mexico, if you're pitching in the U.S., but the other thing we know now is, you know, remember Shoei Otani was like, oh, that's nice. He's done that in Japan, but no one could do that in the U.S. You can't be one of the better pitchers around and hit for power in the U.S. Two-way player, no one's done that since Babe Ruth. We're not hearing that anymore. No, we're Because not. you know why? <laughs> Everything we saw from Shoei Otani in Japan is equally true here. And that's one of the great things that has happened is the game has gotten smaller and we have come to the realization. It does not mean that every player coming from Japan who stars in Japan is going to star in the U.S. the same way that, you know, hey, Major League Baseball is a higher level of baseball than the MPB, but it's not in a different league. 
than the MPB. And so it is cool to me that we can see Roki Sasaki do this and we can just enjoy it for it being awesome. And at this point, I'd say even most fans realize that doesn't mean that he's a second-class player because he's playing in the MPB. I promise you, big league hitters would have been in real, real trouble on Sunday, just like all those MPB hitters were, because 100 with movement, 102 up in the zone, paired with two-plus secondaries that you're throwing for strikes, you, you could go back to the field of dreams in Iowa and you could bring back, you know, all the greats coming through the cornfield. They'd have trouble too. Yeah. I, I think at this point we're starting to respect the level of play in Japan. Um, I think people got even got into it over the shutdown watching, you know, Japanese baseball, Korean baseball, um, just following different leagues. And we've seen the level of there's, there's, a ton of players that could come over um, and do, you know, what they do in Japan or at least to a similar level here. Um, and we've had a bunch of examples recently where guys have been valuable players. You say uh, Kikuchi is still a pretty good arm, um, you know, even outside of uh, a standout like Shohei Otani. Uh, Seihei Suzuka, uh, Suzuki looks really good so far. Um, I think there's, you know, potentially a, above average everyday player maybe even better and now that we we see guys you know like sasaki and even um i think it's yomamato i'm going to forget the first name who's got a wicked curveball who sits like 95 to 97 as well so there's a few other arms that might even be here before uh sasaki that are standouts and could be mid-rotation arms day one and we've seen that a few times already it's Again, the best way I can put it is, is, as I say often on this podcast, I'm old. In 2008, some, one of the really cool things about the Olympics was, is that this was our chance. This was our, I remember John Manuel and I watching Hunjin Yu pitch and going, this is awesome. We're getting to see what Hunjin Yu looks like. Because before that, it was largely like hearing it described by international scouts. <laughs> That's... <laughs> That, that was kind of what you were hearing. It's like, hey, I, I, I heard Korean David Wells. And then you would watch him. And it's like, oh, okay, I, I, I now see it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but that's the thing now that, again, the world is smaller. The internet has, has a lot of downsides. But one of the plus upsides is, is, is that you can pay attention to baseball around the world in a way that was simply not possible uh, a generation ago. And it's one of the, fun things about it. So I, I do, again, it's a lot of pitching talk. To, we promise we won't neglect hitters, but we did want to kind of just have some fun talking about pitching today as we are here at the start of the, really the first full week of the minor league baseball season. We had yesterday, everyone except for Springfield and Arkansas were off in the minors today. Everyone weather permitting pretty much everyone is playing. So it'll be fun to watch, Jeff. I know that you will be watching a lot of it because you're a nut like me. But uh, <laughs> but it's, again, this is the fun time of the year. I, I, I cannot wait to just shower in baseball, I guess is the way to put it, over the next, uh, over the next months. It's a beautiful thing, you know. I'm, 
very excited to have it all back and be able to watch uh, professional baseball again, and particularly the minor leagues. You know, I, I love the ramp up. I love college ball. Particularly, I like the Cape Cod League, but, you know, in season, I like college ball. I love the minor leagues. When the minor leagues is back, there's so many interesting arms. All these guys that have come through over the last few draft classes, guys you watched in college, you know, prep arms like a Maddox Brun taking a huge step forward um, year over year since you've last seen maybe even a couple years back, you know, over their showcase summer. So uh, one of the reasons I love it, you know, there's so much talent. Uh, it's more accessible than ever before. And for that, I'm thankful. It's going to be fun. Thanks, Jeff. It's, you know, thank you all for the download. If you haven't, uh, head over to baseballamerica.com. If you are not a subscriber, you are welcome to join us, baseballamerica.com, where we are producing content uh, at, like this that we talked about today, but you know, a lot more than this over there every day at baseballamerica.com. If you haven't left us review and you do want to, we do appreciate it. Whatever your podcast uh, grabber of choice, especially if you're on Apple, if you want to leave us a five-star review, we greatly appreciate it. It does help other people find the podcast. For Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.